Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tracy Bumgard. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the summer, Black communities in the United States are disproportionately affected by COVID-19, with African Americans accounting for three out of every four deaths in some parts of the country. Airports across South Africa implement strict health and safety measures to curb the spread of COVID-19. And in economics news, South Africa's president says the National Treasury will regularly update the online publication on COVID-19 expenditure to keep it current. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. The European Union has suspended training in Mali after the military coup that removed President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita removed him from power. Officials say the suspension was temporary and training will continue in neighboring Niger and Burkina Faso. It came a day after the 88-member organization International de la Franc Francophonie suspended the nation from its membership. West African mediators and Mali coup leaders are discussing the possibility of a transitional government which could allow the EU to eventually resume training in partnership with the United Nations. Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta, has announced an extension of the countrywide curfew for a further 30 days. Kenyatta also extended the closure of bars and pubs for another 30 days. Hotels are, however, allowed to sell alcohol to residents. He has also increased the number of guests allowed at funerals and weddings from 15 to 100 people. The ministries of sports and health will jointly issue guidelines on the gradual resumption of sporting events in the country. This comes as the nation reported 230 new COVID-19 cases, pushing the total number of confirmed infections across the country to 33,016. Authorities in the Gaza Strip have announced the extension of the coronavirus lockdown for another three days. Mosques, schools and many businesses will remain closed. People have been urged to stay home and avoid all non-essential travel. The BBC's Grant Farad has this report. A 48-hour curfew was imposed earlier this week when the first infections were found among the general population in Gaza. Since then, two patients have died and about 20 other infections have been recorded, some of them at the main hospital. Aid agencies say the two million residents of the densely populated and impoverished Gaza Strip were already under terrible strain. In addition to a long-running blockade by Egypt and Israel, electricity supplies have been reduced to just a few hours a day. 
A court in New Zealand has sentenced the white supremacist who shot dead 51 Muslim worshippers in Christchurch to life in prison without parole. The judge said the gunman Brandon Tarrant was devoid of empathy for his victims. He said he was neither concrete, he was not ashamed. It is the first time that the sentence of life imprisonment without parole has been imposed in New Zealand. The BBC's Shaima Khalil reports. The judge in charge of the case spent nearly an hour reminding the gunman of each person he killed and injured. He spoke about their lives, their achievements, and the agony families have faced since the mass shooting. He added that despite the victim's resilience, the damage to the Muslim community's sense of security and well-being both in Christchurch and New Zealand could not be ignored. The U.S. government has sent more than 200 federal officers to the city of Kenosha following unrest sparked by a police shooting of a black man. Two people were killed during disturbances on Tuesday. A 17-year-old has been charged with murder. A curfew is in effect for the fourth consecutive night after police shot Jacob Blake in the back on Sunday. Wisconsin's Attorney General Josh Call has told reporters that a knife was found in Blake's car. He also says external forces should not be allowed to sow divisions. It is vital that we work to unify people. There has been a lot of division recently. It's easy for politicians to stoke division. But what we need to do is to come together as we work to strengthen our criminal justice system, as we work to call for justice in the system, and as we work to heal our communities. The National Basketball Association in the United States has postponed their playoff games in solidarity with victims of police violence following the shooting of Jacob Blake. Show and Bryce Peace reports that the move follows a decision by the Malawaki Bucks, the team representing the state where the shooting took place to boycott their playoff game. The statement from the NBA reads as follows. The NBA and the National Basketball Players Association Today announced that in light of the Milwaukee Bucks' decision not to take the floor for Game 5 against the Orlando Magic, today's three games have been postponed. LeBron James tweeted, F this man, we demand change, sick of it. Analysts have called it a seminal moment. The Milwaukee Bucks said they were calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demanded that the officers be held accountable. Their statement continues that, quote, Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there's been no action, so our focus today cannot be on basketball. Blake was shot almost three months to the day since George Floyd was killed by former police officers. Sherman Bryceby's SABC News, New York. Channel Africa would like to distance itself from fake social media accounts using the name Channel Africa News. The Facebook, WhatsApp and fake website have been impersonating our general Channel Africa digital platforms. Channel Africa is not associated with these fake accounts. Channel Africa's Facebook account is Channel Africa Numerical One. It is Channel Africa, the African Perspective. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Thank you. And it is 7.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. 
Black communities in the United States have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, with African Americans accounting for three out of every four deaths in some parts of a country. Health officials say living conditions like crowded apartment blocks and working in essential frontline jobs puts them at greater risk. And in cities where space is at a premium, years of systemic racism and policies that have disadvantaged black residents have only made matters worse. Nick Harper reports. Trying to socially distance in the urban sprawl has been difficult, particularly for African Americans, 75% of whom live in US cities. And it's just one of many conditions, putting them at higher risk of dying from the virus. They had public facing positions that meant that they were more likely to be exposed to the virus. They didn't have the appropriate level of health care to assure that if they did get sick, that they'd be taken care of. And they often returned to homes that were three generations of folk living together, frequently overcrowded. Black people in the U.S. are nearly three times as likely to become infected with the virus as their white neighbors, and nearly twice as likely to die from it. Those look great. Those are awesome. Tanya Denise Fields got COVID-19, and unable to socially distance in her New York City apartment, she quickly passed it to her entire family. When lockdown began, and being in the house with seven other people, six children and my partner, I don't think that the English dictionary has created the words to describe what that felt like. (laughs) She lives and works in one of the poorest districts in the country. She runs an organization in the Bronx that helps women provide for their families, including growing food at an urban farm in the heart of the city. But Field says there's also another reason why her community is more vulnerable to the pandemic. It is racism and the effects of racism. Stress, and racism certainly is stressful, lives in your body on a cellular level and that that trauma can be inherited by your children. So you are talking about 400 years of racism as a national model in this country. And we are surprised at why black people are the most vulnerable to any public health issue. It's not surprising to me. From healthcare to housing, living conditions to work opportunities, those disparities in black communities exist nationwide. Here in Washington, D.C., data from the mayor's office shows the disproportionate effect the virus is having on communities of color. Almost 75% of the people who've died here are black. Dr. Fullerlove hopes the virus could be the motivation to begin long-term changes in black communities. Let's eliminate those pockets of poverty. Let's eliminate those settings and the health disparities that are there. And we're going to do it not so much out of a sense of charity, We're going to do it because if we're going to protect the health of everyone, we need to make sure that the communities that are most threatened are also taken care of. COVID-19 has further highlighted the inequalities and continuing segregation in American cities, where race can become the dividing line between life and death. Nick Harper, Washington. Airports across South Africa have implemented strict health and safety measures to curb the spread of COVID-19. Transport Minister Figilin Balula has announced that four more airports will be opened under lockdown level two, bringing the total number of airports now operational to 18. Due to the additional procedures, Passengers have been advised to arrive at airports at least two hours before the departure time of their flights. Prabhashni Moodley reports. 
Strict lockdown regulations and constraint on movement and contact have left many with the urge to visit family or resume domestic expeditions once again. And they'll be pleased that 18 of the country's airports are now operating, but again with stringent health protocols to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Domestic carriers are delighted that air traffic is picking up. Chief Marketing Officer at Fly Surfair Kirby Gordon says there's been a collective effort in aviation to increase health protocols at airports and on-board flights. At the moment, Fly Surfair is operating our full route network. We have flights available between Johannesburg, both at OR Tambo and Lanseria, down to Cape Town, East London, Durban, George and Port Elizabeth. It's not our full schedule, so you won't have the same sorts of frequencies that we would have seen before, say, lockdown. It's really uh, the airline working together with the sort of larger aviation community. On the actual air side, we've also got a number of interventions in place. So those include things like new boarding and disembarkation procedures to ensure that there's social distancing in place with uh, lots of information about the sophisticated HEPA air filters that are available on the aircraft, which recycle the air with inside and outside air every three minutes. There's a lot of uh, cleaning that are done. So between flights, we fog the actual aircraft with anti-COVID-19 substrates. New airport regulations will see passengers experience travel as a much more guarded environment. No longer are family members not flying around in the airport terminal to see passengers off. Temperature checks and a health questionnaire have also been introduced at all airports. In Johannesburg, the Lanseria International Airport is championing technologically advanced contactless travel. Airport Chief Financial Officer Mpohaleng Polopi explains. Passengers were now requested to do a health screening. They will test your temperature. The biggest change for us has been that no mask no entry. The health screening where they would ask you health questions. We've also had to go change our processes to be more contactless. The big thing we are encouraging our passengers is to come in early at the airport just to allow for this health screening processes to take place. And the big game changer for us it's a system called Scan and Fly, which assists a passenger to scan and tag their own bags. With the added protocols and procedures, airports company South Africa is urging passengers to arrive at least two hours early. Group Executive for Corporate Affairs at AXA, Defense Shinners, says they're pleased that planes can take to the sky again since the impact of the lockdown on the aviation industry has been drastic. Passengers, we encourage them to do as much of their journey preparation at home. Things like booking your your flights online, checking in online, printing your boarding pass. Now passengers are expected to scan their own boarding pass, expected to divest their own goods. The impact globally on the aviation industry has been quite dire. Um, This is from April 2020. We've seen a decrease in passenger numbers of 70% across the, the continent. For the year, as Airports Company South Africa, we expect a reduction of 50% in passenger volume. COVID-19 has resulted in many job losses and the aviation industry across the globe has taken one of the hardest hits. Just this week, the government announced that it had received 10 offers to buy the embattled South African Airways. Low-cost airline Kalula went to business rescue in May this year after its flights were grounded by the lockdown. Gordon says salary cuts across the board at Fly Surfair 
is how they managed to avert retrenchments. It's been absolutely devastating. And I mean, I think that's true for us, but of course it's true for the entire industry at large. It's a very sort of tragic tale with a number of operators, either in business rescue or in liquidation. You know, we're very fortunate and very happy to be operating at this stage. We are still making uh, major losses every month. We're still very much in a survival mode. But fortunately, we've managed to avoid Section 189 processes. Our staff collectively came together and we took a look at the need to save money across the board. And and what we've done is we've opted for salary reductions across the board. Speaking at a National Health Protocol Committee meeting last month, President of the Medical Research Council, Professor Glenda Gray, said that air travel was the safest way to get around during the pandemic because of how air circulation is managed on aeroplanes. But we'll have to see if this is enough to convince South Africans to buckle up for their next flight. Prabhashni Mudli, Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level 2, with effect from midnight on Monday, the 17th of August 2020. Alert level 2, in terms of our risk-adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic, means that there is moderate COVID-19 spread of the virus, with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level two means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most industries. Channel Africa. It's 7.17 Central African Tama Jewel listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Political parties in South Africa have added their voices to the concerns raised regarding the early childhood development sector. This follows a nationwide week of protest by ECD workers against a decision taken by Social Development Minister Lindue Zulu to allocate 1.3 billion rands towards the employment of 36,000 young people as compliance monitors in ECD centers. The group is urging the department to redirect the funds to save 175,000 ECD jobs that are at risk due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Nomalizo Mandel reports. The ECD Workforce Group says government has paid lip service to the importance of the sector in the country's national development plans. During his 2019 State of the Nation address, President Sol Ramaphosa committed that the government would invest in the sector and move it to the Department of Basic Education. We have established a firm foundation for a comprehensive ECD program that is an integral part of the education system. This year, we will migrate responsibility for early childhood development centers from social development to basic education. And this we are able to do, not as a pipe dream, but preparations have already been put in place And we are ready for this to take off. ANC spokesperson Bulemabe said government must fast track the provision of PPEs in the sector. We have also noted uh, some of the concerns uh, raised by a number of the centers, especially as it relates to the distribution of uh, PPEs. We urge our government through the Department of uh, Social Development to fast track this.
it is important that the ECD centers, which are a very important repository of protecting the future of our children, are given the necessary PPEs for adherence to protocols. DA's Shadow Deputy Minister of Social Development, Alexandra Abrahams, said ECDs must be supported as they are the biggest employer of women. ECDs are so much more than just babysitting services. They play a critical role in a child's developmental years and in getting that child ready for grade R, as well as in the nutritional benefits of the children and safeguarding them from the dangers that wait for them on the streets of South Africa. In order to reduce poverty, we need to support small businesses. Small businesses such as ECDs that are closing daily and that predominantly employs women in the sector. Meanwhile, EFF spokesperson Delisi Lenguenya said they are concerned about a number of unregistered ECD centres and their compliance to COVID-19 regulations. We have plus minus 40,000 ECDs that are unregistered in this country. Now, it would mean that those ECDs uh, assessments of readiness were not conducted on those ECDs. Therefore, we do not know if those ECDs are compliant. That report by Numalizo Mandel. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to pass. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Southern Africa, the African perspective. It's 7.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africa's Transport Minister, Figil Balula has proposed that the legal blood alcohol concentration limit for drivers be reduced to 0%. The country's Automobile Association is of the view the changing of traffic laws relating to drink and driving would be meaningless and ineffective if current laws that regulate alcohol Alcohol and driving are not properly implemented and enforced first. The association says drinking and driving can be more effectively combated by reducing the allowable alcohol limits for drivers and that the courts should impose tougher sentences on offenders. A spokesperson at the Automobile Association, Leighton Bird, joins us on the line. Leighton, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you, Lulu. Good to be with you. Now, Leighton, your view, uh, you're of the view that uh, even if the legal blood alcohol concentration um, was to be reduced to zero percent limit um, with the current laws in place, this would be pointless. Why is that? 
Yeah, it would be pointless because um, you've got uh, a current legal framework uh, and that legal framework sets the drunken driving limit, but it's not enforced properly. So our opinion is, is enforce the existing law properly before you tinker with the legislation. And if you enforce the law properly, then you will get to the consequences that you want. Um, our view is that uh, people drink and drive because it's a behavior of theirs uh, and the legislation is not going to change their behavior. Proper law enforcement uh, and proper uh, punishment by the courts is going to reduce uh, drunken driving. It's going to deal with that uh, antisocial behavior. Uh, and for that reason, we think that uh, changing the law uh, to, to 0.00 is not going to be uh, effective in any way. Now, South Africa's current BAC's limit of 0.05% is not really out of line with world standards. The crisis uh, on uh, South Africa's roads basically um, demands a tougher approach, as you've just touched on. What are you proposing as the AA? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is not aligned with international standards. Uh, I mean, in some countries, it's even 0.08, which is a little higher. Um, but in countries such as Sweden and Norway, uh, and I use them as examples because they have really good road safety records, um, their legal limit is 0.02. Uh, and what that does is it takes into consideration people who use medication that contains alcohol, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they make provision for that. The big difference, obviously, in places like Sweden and Norway and other countries where um, they have the same legal limit as South Africa is that their enforcement is really good uh, and they ensure that people who are caught for drunk driving are prosecuted to the full extent of the law and that doesn't happen in South Africa people drink and drive in South Africa because they know that there aren't any consequences for their actions they know they can do it because they can get away with it if people um, understand that going forward they're not going to get away with it they will stop drinking and driving it's as simple as that changing the legislation is not going to do that it's simply going to be ink on paper and it's going to make no difference. Enforcement is where it's at and it's, it has to be combined with proper road safety education. Road safety as a whole needs to be tackled as a problem in South Africa. Uh, our national road deaths are a national disaster annually. We have close to 13,000 people on average that die on our roads every year. We have the highest per capita road deaths uh, on our roads per 100,000 um, in the world. Uh, and road safety is a problem. It, it needs to be dealt with as a problem. Simply reducing the alcohol limit is not going to solve that problem. Now, what are the drunk driving patterns to uh, basically for South Africans? Sorry, can you repeat the, the drunk driving patterns? What sort of patterns do we do we display um, when it comes to do you know alcohol levels and as you say, Rick, yeah. um, the laws don't really um, are not affected, uh, but generally, uh, are people just getting on the road and it doesn't really matter? Mm. They can just buy their way through until they get to their destination. Well, exactly, and I think part of the problem that we have, Lulu, is that. We don't have um, reliable statistics on drunk driving. The Road Traffic Management Corporation releases its, its figures uh, every year, uh, annual figures of the number of people who die on our roads um, through road fatalities. Now, those figures are broken up into three categories. Uh, the first is what, what, why are people dying because of human factors? Why are people dying because of uh, poor vehicles? And why are people dying because of environmental factors, such as the surface of the road or weather conditions? 86% of the deaths on our roads are because of human factors. 
But beyond that, we don't know how many of those human factors involve alcohol. So one of the things that the AA says is absolutely critical is that we need to have proper statistics, verifiable, credible statistics that give us an understanding of how deep the problem of alcohol and drunk driving is in South Africa. Uh, and without those statistics, we are guessing. We are basically making a shot in the dark to determine that alcohol is the main driver of road fatalities. And we know that it isn't. 40% of the people killed on our roads are pedestrians every year. Now, we need to be tackling those issues. We need to be looking, as I said earlier, at road safety in its entirety, not piecemeal at one piece or two pieces of legislation. Uh, dropping the alcohol limit to 0.00 sounds good, but it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't go hand in hand with proper law enforcement and proper road safety education. Now, has the minister consulted with the AA with regards to, um, you know, this uh, looking at the new law that uh, he is driving at? Is, is it, has there been any discussions between yourselves and the ministry? There haven't been any direct discussions, but this process didn't begin a week ago. This is a long-standing proposal that's been on the table for almost a decade. Um, and there have been submissions that have been made by various groups, including the AA, on this matter to um, the parliamentary portfolio committees over the years regarding the reduction of alcohol limits to 0.00. So obviously we have given input into that process. Um, it, it's apparent, obviously, that, that many of the inputs have been ignored uh, and that the government is going ahead with this proposal to, to have 0.00. We stand by what we believe, and what we believe is that you cannot reduce the alcohol limit if it doesn't go hand-in-hand hand with enforcement. You have existing legislation. Let's enforce that legislation. The question that we would ask is, if we change the law to be 0.00, how is that going to make law enforcement different going forward than what we currently have? And if it is going to make law enforcement different, why can't we have that law enforcement different now in the current environment? So there are many questions that we have that uh, uh, we feel are not taken into account. And I stand by what I said earlier, that we don't believe that this legislation change is going to be effective in any way. Leighton, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Lulu. Good to be with you. That's Leighton Bird, a spokesperson at South Africa's Automobile Association, joining us on the line. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. It's 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Munsa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African, From an African perspective. perspective.
Aman Musa, good morning. In the headlines, the European Union has suspended training in Mali after the military coup that removed President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita from power. Somali President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed has signed into law an amendment version of the country's media law following three years of debate on the law. And a court in New Zealand has sentenced the white supremacist to shot dead 51 Muslim worshippers in Christchurch to life in prison without parole. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Well, thank you, Anne. It is 7.31 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet, Channel 802, and on www.channelafrica.co.za. A former Ingata Freedom Party leader, Prince Mangosuthu Butelezi, is turning 92 years old today. He was born on the 27th of August in 1928. The veteran South African Member of Parliament will celebrate his birthday free of COVID-19. Mercedes Percent reports. The announcement of Prince Butelezi testing positive for COVID-19 was made on the 8th of August. He contracted the coronavirus after coming into contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID-19. The veteran MP recovered last week after two weeks in self-isolation. Prince Butelezi went for second COVID-19 tests, which came back negative last week. He says he is grateful to celebrate his 92nd birthday after recovering from the coronavirus. I'm feeling fine and I praise the Lord, you know, for his graciousness for enabling me to actually celebrate my 92nd birthday, which actually I wasn't sure I'd celebrate it because no one, when you get to this age, is sure how long your time is. He is diabetic, which made him to be at greater risk for COVID-19. When he turned 90 years old two years ago, he told SABC News in Parliament that he had been diabetic for more than 50 years and had to make lifestyle changes to beat the effects of diabetes. But how did he manage to recover from COVID-19 during self-isolation with this comorbidity? Well, I think that uh, one must obey the rules and regulations. I'm somewhat very disillusioned by the behavior of our people generally, because the, the, the rules are very simple. I mean, the washing of hands, the wearing of masks are very simple things to do. But I find that even now, many, especially our young people, they, they just don't care. I mean, they just walk around as if you know, nothing is happening when actually people are dying left, right and center because of the COVID. So that therefore, for me, the formula 
is actually to adhere to the rules because even the World Health Organization has told us that in the countries where these rules are observed, the curve went down. He says his birthday celebration will be different and more about praying with his family. Because in the situation which you are, I mean, this is not night for celebrations. This is the time for prayers for all of us. Let us spend a quiet time with the prayers with my children. I don't know which one of them will be present when we have lunch, but actually we haven't organized what one can say as a celebration, quote unquote, because I would not think that this is a time for celebration. While I'm grateful and celebrate the fact that God has kept me alive to this moment, but I think that with the pandemic, that is actually something that is actually preoccupying the whole human race. I think that this is a time for introspection and time for prayers and what is his birthday message to south africa as the country is fighting against the coronavirus pandemic i would say that you know we i don't know how somehow we can stop self-inflicted sorrows self-inflicted misfortunes for instance i I think that it's really boggles my mind that at this time when the whole world in our country is facing up to this pandemic that our people find room actually to actually commit many acts of corruption, even concerning the private personal equipment. I mean, I think this is the only message I can give to the nation, that it really shames all of us. It's a disgrace to all of us. That report by Mercedes Percent. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I'm Hilda Kekera for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show 
that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. It's 7.39 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A cases in the Democratic Republic of Congo's latest Ebola outbreak has surpassed the 100 mark, prompting the World Health Organization to describe the situation as concerning. The new Ebola outbreak is the DRC's 11th and was declared on the 1st of June. The last outbreak of Ebola in the Kivu province only just ended as the current one in Ecuador began. More from Dr. Mori Keita of the World Health Organization. Since the beginning of this outbreak, we have already reported 104 cases, among them 100 uh, confirmed and 4 probable. Uh, We have already reported 44 deaths among these cases. Uh, We have already 11 health zones already affected. Either has reported at least one confirmed uh, case. And uh, we have already uh, 34 health areas currently already affected, but uh, 16 are uh, currently active. Either has reported uh, at least one confirmed case over the last 21st day. What are some of the barriers, Doctor, that have made it challenging for your teams as the World Health Organization on the ground to contain this outbreak? Globally, uh, this epidemic is characterized by an unlinked and widely separated outbreak in a densely uh, forested region with rivers separating most health zones. So these represent major challenges in terms of logistics to access the different health zones. Uh, we believe that we, we are probably uh, dealing with outbreaks which are uh, not linked. Um, sequencing, sequencing is uh, in progress and a preliminary uh, result shows very interesting information that will be released soon to help understand different strains. One of the particularities of this epidemic is that the surveillance has been reinforced very quickly in the neighboring area, which has also allowed the detection of many cases and many outbreaks in more remote villages. To what extent has the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic made tackling this outbreak complex? Currently responding to both Ebola and COVID-19, to date, uh, five confirmed cases and two deaths were reported, COVID-19 confirmed cases. The great advantage is uh, that prevention measures are overlapping uh, and communication is taking place for both diseases. We have uh, set up a kind of uh, alert system that reports suspected cases uh, of both diseases. So the major impact concern travel restriction, which make it uh, difficult to deploy uh, some experts. And what kind of support has WHO been providing to the Ministry of Health there in DRC since the onset of this outbreak? Since the beginning of uh, this outbreak, WHO has been closely working with the government to support it in the organization of the response. 
WHO has already deployed more than 100 staff now covering 11 health zones affected. WHO is supporting the Ministry of Health in the area of coordination, surveillance, laboratory, infection prevention, risk communication, case management, and safe and dignified burial. We have already deployed experts for all critical positions and we are recruiting national staff to provide technical support to ensure quality intervention. For example, if I take example the vaccination, WHO is currently supporting 2017. Uh, the majority of these teams have been mobilized locally. These teams are supervised by uh, three WHO international staff and 12 national experts. You cannot imagine that we have a few uh, experts in this pillar and to support 27 teams. So these teams to date have already vaccinated more than 25,000 people, including more than 6,000 high-risk contacts. Before I let you go, what is the likelihood of the outbreak crossing borders into other African countries or even spreading internationally? Regarding the likelihood of the outbreak crossing border into other African countries, at the regional level, WHO is in the process of re-evaluating the risk analysis which takes into account the risk of the virus spreading. As of now, what I can tell you is that Congo-Brazzaville is more vulnerable and could be at risk as border health zones have reported confirmed cases. That was World Health Organization's Dr. Mori Keita speaking to Elizabeth Lidicha. Private businesses are seeing major impacts in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just 9% of respondents surveyed in February and March 2020 expected revenues to decline. In June 2020, that number jumped to 51%. Some private businesses are weathering the storm better, though. A new PwC survey shows that agility is paying off in improved performance. Private company services leader for PwC Africa Gert Allen joins us, spoke to Teddy Sibir about it. We kicked off the survey in February, March uh, of this year, and the initial topic was uh, how private businesses had navigated you know, past crises and how did they respond to, to the uncertainty coming from that. At that stage, <laughs> We didn't expect, you know, that uh, this topic was so relevant. Uh, we started off with 2,990 respondents. And then as the pandemic unfolded, we decided we rather go back and have a follow-up uh, in the latter part of May and, and beginning of June, uh, where we had 500 callbacks, interviews. And then from that, what was quite interesting was the agility uh, and how private businesses actually responded to to the crisis. So we call that agility champions, those businesses who believe that, you know, paying off um, agility uh, or agility will pay off on, on improved performance 
And when we talk about agility champions, then we refer to those people that are customer-focused, people-driven, tech-enabled, and being flexible. Uh, yes. Now, what does uh, the survey tell us about uh, private businesses, uh, especially in Africa and uh, Europe? So, so the focus areas in, in Africa and as well as in, in Europe are very much aligned. But from an African perspective, uh, the, the, the couple of points that really stood out was uh, that 79% of those businesses that we refer to as agility champions are increasing their use of new technologies. And at the same time, they are also doing more to prepare their workforce for the future. So a technology alone is not going to equip those people with the necessary skills. So they invest in training and upskilling of, 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 of their workers. Mr. Allen, please tell us about uh, the profit making and uh, how it has been impacted. So from the initial research, uh, the private businesses uh, saw a 9% increase in, in revenues and that has changed to a decline of 51% uh, in the wake of the COVID-19. So there is a huge uh, uh, expectation or a very large expectation uh, expect to, to see revenue performance declining. Now, uh, lastly, sir, before we let you go, what does the survey conclude with regards to the future of uh, private businesses? What we see is that You know, agility is not going to be enough on its own uh, to ensure resilience. Uh, Resilience requires continuing commitment and the willingness to invest uh, in resources and time. Now, many private businesses are doing this quite successfully, and private businesses will continue to provide critical support for economies throughout Africa. However, having said that, government responses to the current crisis is very important as government has the potential to either enhance this resilience to support our private businesses or to undermine it. That was Gert Allen, a private company services leader for PwC Africa, speaking to Teddy Sibia. It is 7.49 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tracy Bumgard. Thank you, Lulu. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has listed nine policy issues that will be the major focus of the remaining three years of his administration. He says he will channel time, energy and resources into growing the economy, fighting poverty, improving access to quality education, health care and enhancing productivity, among others. 
The nine priority areas will include building a thriving and sustainable economy, enhancing social inclusion and reduced poverty, enlarging agricultural output for food security and export, attaining energy sufficiency and power and petroleum products, and expanding transport and other infrastructural development. Others are expanding business growth, entrepreneurship and industrialization. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says National Treasury will regularly update the online publication on COVID-19 expenditure to keep it current. This is according to the presidency. It comes as the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer published a full list of over 70 companies that have been awarded PPE contracts by government for the supply of goods and services during this coronavirus pandemic. Acting Presidential Spokesperson Tyron Seal. The president says that the collaboration and cooperation between government departments during this process has been laudable and is a clear indication that we are going to intensify our efforts to act against any individuals or companies involved in corruption and profiteering around this pandemic. National Treasury will regularly update the online register to ensure information remains current. By publishing these lists, the president has honoured his promise to the South African people. These lists enable proper scrutiny of the details of all companies who have received tenders for COVID-19 related services. South African Minerals and Energy Minister Gwede Mantashi says there are various interventions in place to take off the pressure of energy supply from Eskom. Mantashi was speaking in the National Assembly during an economic cluster oral reply session. Mantashi was responding to a question by Freedom Front Plus MP Vainant Boshoff on the progress that has been made to allow independent power producers to freely feed electricity into the national grid. This was Mantashi's response. Because of the pressure on ESCO, we have effected a number of changes. One of those is self-generation for own use. Uh, we're driving that energetically so that we take away pressure from the grid. Number two, we have allowed municipalities to actually purchase their own electricity from sources of their own choice. Thirdly, you will have noticed that over the last weekend, we issued a request for proposals for the emergency purchase of electricity, which is the 2,000 megawatt emergency purchase. So all those interventions are directed at taking a lot of pressure from the ESCOM grid. Corruption in the corridors of Zimbabwe's government has reached frightening levels. These are the words of President Emerson Mnangagwa's co-advisors Trevor Ngube in an interview with South African broadcaster ETV's Checkpoint on Tuesday night over the incarceration of journalist Hopewell Chinono. The journalist was denied bail for the third time this week. Ngube added that the COVID-19 corruption seen in South Africa, Kenya and everywhere else is not new and Zimbabwe is having their own bout of COVID-19 corruption. TikTok Chief Executive Officer Kevin Mayer is stepping down less than three months after he joined the short video app. Vanessa Papas will replace him on an interim basis. This comes days after TikTok sued the Trump administration over an executive order banning transactions in the United States. In a letter, Mayer said he had done significant reflection before making his decision to leave the company. 
TikTok, in response, said the recent political dynamics had changed the scope of Mayer's role within the company. The U.S. dollars trading at 384.95 Nigerian Naira, 11.43 Botswana Pula, 107.12 Kenyan Shilling and 19.19 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, 1 U.S. dollars trading at 5.54 Brazilian Hale, 75.52 Russian Ruble, 74.12 Indian Rupee, 6.89 Chinese Yuan and 16.83 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,935 and platinum at $923 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $46.02 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Leander Malme, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za, WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327, or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Angelina by Kaifa Siminga. Stay safe and goodbye.